I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to create your entrepreneurial self. This might sound weird, and it is, kind of. But I've seen enough people try to build startups without one to know that that doesn't seem to work, so maybe this will. And it's only weird because most people don't do it for reasons they can't articulate, which, for the record, is the best kind of weird. That's the weird you should seek out. The idea of building a new self is pretty top of mind because I'm going to have a baby in the next week. I know this because last week our doctor said she wouldn't, quote, let us go past the 19th. But since then, she's sent absolutely no follow-up emails or information or appointment times or dates, except for a quick note in the portal that said they might have some time on the 18th, so, quote, stay tuned. There is something weirdly assuring about a doctor treating your wife getting induced to have a baby like they're scheduling a Zoom happy hour with some high school friends to talk about the White Lotus finale. Which, for the record, I didn't watch on Sunday and I'm not sure we'll be able to sneak in before the baby, so Lord help you if you email me a spoiler. Although, I'm not sure why you would but don't. Anyway, it's always funny to think that whatever you do for a living, let's say you're a project manager at a creative agency, delivering a baby for nurses is as routine as onboarding a new client is for you. Having a kid prompts the question of my life. What kind of dad do I want to be? Well, what are the options? If you're lucky like I was, you had a dad or a few dads or stepdads or some sort of dad in your life growing up. I could certainly be like them. If I'm like my dad, my son will have hit the lotto. You and I certainly saw other people's dads too. There was the strict dad, the dad that worked all the time, the dad that talked on the phone during soccer games, the dad that coached the soccer games, and the dad that yelled at the refs during soccer games for reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with refs or soccer. There was the funny dad, the young dad, the in-shape dad, the dad that thought he was just another one of his son's friends and would say inappropriate things that made everyone uncomfortable, and the kind dad. Then there were the outliers, memorable dads in a sea of flannel and glasses. My best friend's dad hugged me every time he saw me, asked about every member of my family individually, kept a case of Snapple in the trunk of his car at the Ready for Thirsty Kids, and on multiple occasions took me aside for a stern talk when he decided that I wasn't playing aggressively enough on the basketball court. You can be anything you want to be, he'd tell me, finger hitting me square in the chest, eyes locked on mine but only if you act like someone who wants it, and that is not what you're acting like. When he saw me at his son's wedding, he teared up. I'm so proud of you both, he sniffled. For me, a whole bunch of my friends are dads, nearly all of them. I've peppered them with questions and gotten all sorts of answers. My long-winded point is that by the time you become a dad, you've got a whole lot of context for what a dad can look like. And still, most people I speak with say they just sort of let stuff happen and react when it does. They rely on instincts and hope. In their words, they survive. There's nothing wrong with this. Humans have been doing this baby thing for quite some time, and maybe instincts are the best way. And it goes without saying, who the hell am I to comment on this before I've got a kid? But I've always found in life that when you do things on purpose versus leave them to chance or instincts or the Holy Ghost or whatever, they tend to work out a whole lot better in the first case. So I've started to build out what I'm calling my dad self, who I will be as a dad on purpose. I started with some values. The three most important things that I want my kid to have are empathy, resilience, and curiosity. 
That means I need to do two things. I need to check in regularly to make sure I'm living by those characteristics. And I need to check in on what we're doing with the kid to make sure those three things are landing. I've got my North Star metrics, methods and tactics to get there, and reflection time to readjust the coordinates of the ship along the way. I've told this to parents and they immediately crack up, saying things like, humans plan and God, aka your kid, laughs in your face. And they know way more than I do. But hey, even the reminder that those are the priority might be useful when we're on zero sleep and the kids are crying and poor Rubes is sulking because she's not the center of attention anymore. And when I push and do my customer interview Jedi mind tricks on parents, we both realize there is a core group of values they're acting on, but they aren't explicit and often aren't conscious. This means they often aren't the ones they'd have chosen. Separately, a bunch of parents already do this and call them things like family core values. Multiple friends have three to five core values and have them on a whiteboard that sits on the kitchen and they mention them every day at dinner and ask how their kids lived up to them that day. This, they say, is what their family is about. Their kids strive for them. Sometimes extra dessert is involved. So what in the heck does all this have to do with you? So, so much. Because while I'm not sure if curating and creating feedback loops around my quote dad self will work, I know for damn sure it works for entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs are starting from a way worse spot. You couldn't help but observe dads in your normal life and absorb at least passively what works and what doesn't. But what about entrepreneurs? How many entrepreneurs starting a business from scratch have you been around? How many successful and unsuccessful? How many VC-backed versus bootstrapped versus service versus physical product? How about entrepreneurs that are great at marketing or managing or fundraising or stretching a dollar? The answer is probably zero. You've probably never been around anyone starting a company from scratch. And your instincts, as we've talked about probably a hundred times at this point, are terrible for entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is unnatural. It's counterintuitive. It's counterinstinctual. So if you want to take yourself and your idea seriously, you need to build your entrepreneurial self. If this sounds inauthentic, it couldn't be farther from the truth. The word authentic means to stay true to your values, your personality, your spirit. Regardless of the outside impact, your values, ideals, and actions align. That's not going to happen by accident. So let's do it on purpose. After a little smooth jazz. Hey, we've got a few slots opening up for Tacklebox where we help people turn ideas into startups as a few of our founders have now outgrown the core program as their businesses have scaled a bit. So if you've got an idea you've been sitting on and you want to turn it into a startup, let's do it. And to sweeten it a bit more and maybe kick you in the butt a bit, if you apply in the next two weeks and get accepted, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just head to gettacklebox.com and apply with what you're working on and put code HOLIDAY in the application when it asks for a referral code. Back to it. The real story of why Find Your Lobster didn't work and bike helmets. A good story or good marketing or good really anything has one thing, contrast. You don't learn something when someone tells it to you. You learn it when they compare it to something else and you see the clear difference between the two. Context facilitates learning and action. So here's a story that pains me a bit to tell, but hopefully helps you out because of the contrast. The year was 2012. The top songs were Diamonds by Rihanna and Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, and frankly, what a year for music. LeBron James won his first championship, the first Hunger Games movie came out, and I was starting a company called Find Your Lobster. But more accurately, I was pivoting. I'd already started a company called Three Degrees in 2011, and it let you search and meet your friends' friends. The goal was to help you take advantage of your network. 
The job market stunk, and I had lots of unemployed business school friends who would send out emails all the time to big groups BCC'd, saying things like, quote, a job opened up at XYZ Bank. Can you search LinkedIn or Facebook and see if you know anyone there that could get me a warm intro? I'd nerded out a bit on Facebook with a friend who worked there, and we realized this new thing, Facebook Graph, would let outside developers build that type of functionality, the friend-to-friend thing. So I raised some money, and I did. Three Degrees let you search your friends' friends on Facebook for anything, where they lived, where they worked, activities they liked. The best part was that you could do these searches without anyone actually being a Three Degrees member. You logged in with your Facebook account and immediately had access to view millions of profiles. I remember at the time thinking this was maybe a weird privacy thing, so we ended up gating last names for people that weren't on the app. You'd only see their first name. So I might search for a friend of a friend that worked at Goldman Sachs, see the first names of 25 people that did, then the two or three friends of mine that knew those people. I could then ask for an intro, and bam. Also, I hoped people would search for friends of friends who skied or liked the Knicks or whatever. It'd be a way to meet people. We launched, and it very much wasn't that. We got some press and some users, and long story short, 99.9% of our searches were for friends, single friends. People just wanted to see lots of single people and then ask their friends for intros to them. There was no Tinder. There was no Hinge. This was completely novel. And people kept their Facebook statuses updated. So single meant single. It became obvious immediately that we needed to pivot and build a Facebook-driven mobile dating app. The wave was coming. I remember pitching VCs and getting feedback about how they could maybe see us doing both things concurrently, networking and dating, and about how to keep the market as big as it could possibly be. I also remember an associate who was maybe 24 at the time, piping up during one of these meetings in front of all of his bosses. He said, quote, the data is clearly, clearly telling you the massive opportunity is dating. Fold three degrees and build a Facebook-driven dating app like today. Like run from this meeting to your developers to do it. Sprint. This is the biggest opportunity we've seen all year if your data is right and people in their 20s will actually use a dating app. You should never think of networking or friendship ever again. Go build a freaking dating app. His bosses were shocked, but he was confident. I looked that guy up a few years ago and he started a company that sold for a few hundred million bucks. I think it's the least surprised I've ever been. Anyway, I started to pivot over to the dating app, which I called Find Your Lobster after that. A friend of mine ran a development shop that was building mobile apps. I'd grown up with him. He was a contemporary. I reached out and he was excited by the idea. He brought me in and his co-founder, also his wife, talked me through her idea for the product. She'd done some sketches and they were incredible. The cost would be more than I had in the bank, but it was less than I could have raised pretty quickly. But I just wasn't sure. Would this dating thing work? Is it what I wanted to do? If it worked, could I handle the liability? Was this really good for people? Questions, questions, questions. No action. No resolution. Meanwhile, my friend's wife and I emailed back and forth for a couple of weeks strategizing. She'd post suggestions, I'd give some feedback, and she'd send some more stuff through. There was no contract, no payment. I was just kind of swaying, deciding, I guess, with my friend and his wife. My friend was CC'd on all the emails, but he never responded. Until he did. I still have the email. We'll get to why later. It says, quote, Guys, Let's not spend any more time going back and forth on this. It's not a fair use of everyone's time. Once you get the budget, we'll draw up a contract. Your next email needs to either be a confirmation of your first payment or confirmation that we aren't working together. Nothing else. Thank you. It was a punch in the gut. Distinction. Clarity. I was wasting people's time. 
He was someone who valued his. We've been friends since we were seven, but this was not us shooting hoops in the backyard. If he wanted to run a business, he wouldn't have time to work with people like me, and he wasn't willing to sacrifice his business for a moment or two of social awkwardness. And I immediately respected him more after that email. He was a serious person. And at the time, I wasn't. I didn't know what serious meant. I'd gone to business school and raised some money and built a team and all that, but I wasn't serious yet. I responded back that I couldn't work with him because we didn't yet have the budget. And within seconds, he'd emailed me, introing me to a lower budget agency that would work with me. I was off his plate, clearing it for stuff worthy of his time. He built that business up, then sold it, then built another one and sold that one and did it again. Now he has an investment firm and charitable trust and floor seats to the nets. He was serious from the start and that seriousness compounded. That was the difference. That is what we need you to have. Your entrepreneurial self. So what do you do? First, you decide if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a tourist. Probably 85% of entrepreneurs I meet, I categorize in my head as tourists. They like the idea of strolling down the streets of the entrepreneurial world, but they aren't really here to stay. They aren't committed to it. That's fine. But if that's the case, none of this really matters to you. But if you're serious about this, if you want this to be your life's work, you've got to take yourself seriously. That means you need to design your entrepreneurial self, an active representation of what you are and how y'all act. Because defaulting to your social self will have you in the position I was with my friend, not ready for what it really takes to be successful, not in a position where you can make real decisions. What you need to do is build what we call your entrepreneurship handbook a representation of how you'll act, what you're after, and methods and tactics to get there, to do it on purpose. There are three components of this. First, a value system. Second, a decision-making system. And third, a reflection system. I've built my own in a Notion doc. I call it my entrepreneurship handbook. It's got a bunch of different tabs and I reference them constantly. We'll start at the top with your value system, your stated goals why you're doing this, how you'll do it, and what type of entrepreneur you want to be. There are a few ways to structure this, but the end result is the same. A clear, visual representation of what you're doing, why, and how. A reminder that will eventually become ingrained. There are three things that I recommend here. First, an action board. It's a collage, physical or digital, that has representations of what you desire from your startup. I first learned about these from Dr. Tara Swart, a neuroscientist. I'll link the article. They're the why, the people you want to help, the goals you have, visualizations of you getting there, triggers of what you don't want. The screenshot of that email from 10 years ago is part of my digital collage. I never want to be that unserious person again. The secret is bathing in these, starting your day with them, tweaking them if they feel off. Anchor yourself in the things you want to achieve and the tasks that don't line up will feel more like a nuisance, a sap on you as a serious entrepreneur. You won't do them. The second piece of this are affirmations. I once spoke with an equipment manager for an NBA team, and he told me that before every game, there's a line of players waiting to get in front of the mirror and chant their affirmations, what they can do, who they are, what they can be. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. How you act, how you think, it's all malleable. It's all a choice. It's all repetition. The more you do something, the more you'll be the type of person who does that thing. The more you say it, the more it'll become natural. Third are a list of your core values as an entrepreneur. Come up with three or four or five or seven and make sure they really matter. A quick quote by Eleanor Roosevelt to drive it home. 
To be mature, you have to realize what you value most. It is extraordinary to discover that comparatively few people reach this level of maturity. They seem to never have paused to consider what has value for them. They spend great effort and sometimes make great sacrifices for values that fundamentally meet no real needs of their own. Perhaps they have imbibed the values of their particular profession or job or their community or their neighbors or their parents or their family. Not to arrive at a clear understanding of one's own value is a tragic waste. You have missed the whole point of what life is for. The next piece of this handbook is your decision-making system. The first part is higher level. This part is actionable. It's in the weeds. Let's start with an example. Seth Godin has a slide that shows a picture of a group of people riding bicycles together. None of them are wearing helmets. But one girl has a helmet. It's tethered to her backpack, hanging there, unused. Humans would rather die in a bike accident than stray from the herd. So our decision-making system needs to make sure we automatically make the decision to put on our helmet without caring what other people think and without draining our willpower. We need a system for decisions that helps you act the way you want to. Every time I feel what I now refer to as the bike helmet moment, when I'm uncomfortable acting a certain way because it pushes against my social norms, but I know it's how I should act for the business, I force myself to do the uncomfortable thing. Then I codify it so I never have to do it again. I write out the email response that lets the random person asking for 30 minutes of my time to talk about their startup know that I can't help directly right now, but I do value them. And here is what will help them now. A video I made a while back about how to get started and a podcast and some other resources. And then when they're ready, they should apply to Tacklebox. It takes a ton out of me to write this from scratch, but now I have 45 different stored responses, templates to request for my time that I can send. I can copy and I can paste. Now I have a system. When X happens, I do Y. And it was easy to pass this off to a VA who now handles my emails. As the company grows, the handbook gets passed around. My handbook has the higher level piece, where I want to go, who I want to be, and the operational piece of how to make the decisions that'll get us there, how to hard coat them, how to make them part of the central nervous system of the business. And the final piece of the puzzle is accountability. External accountability is fantastic, but it's hard to find. We're building this up at Tacklebox. Head to gettacklebox.com slash rhythm, R-H-Y-T-H-M, to get some info on that. But internal accountability for this sort of thing is usually good enough. Sit down on Sunday and look at what you did the previous week. Match it up with your core values, your action board, what a serious entrepreneur would do, how they would treat their time. Did you default to too much of your social self, the pleaser, the one afraid to upset anyone in even the smallest way? the one that isn't actually effective at all in a startup context, the one that devalues themselves, the one that gives people coupons, discounts, because they can't believe that they're actually worth what people pay them. How can you change next week? What goes into my handbook in a separate Notion tab is my log. Every night, I spend 10 minutes recapping the day, decisions I made, where the system was pushed, how I can be better. You know it's good for you. I know it's good for you, but you don't do it. Try logging. Trust me. The end. We've got a lot of people who listen who aren't entrepreneurs, and this approach can really work for you too. If you're spending seven hours a week managing someone two levels below you who shouldn't take more than 15 minutes of your day, if that, are you actually helping them? Is this person serious? Are they worth your time? Have they displayed to you that they are? If not, how would a serious person in your position treat this? How can you get them off your plate? How can you codify it so no one like this is on your plate ever again? 
Some of this can seem harsh. It can seem inauthentic. It can make you feel a certain way that we don't like to feel. But separating your social self from your entrepreneurial or your business self is critical because your social self will not be able to build a business, which means you won't be able to solve problems and help people and reach your potential. And people respect serious people. When my friend sent me that email, I wasn't mad at him. I was mad at myself. And I changed because I saw how he acted and I wanted to act like that. Creating an entrepreneurship self, crafting it, modeling it, improving it is hyper underutilized. Our instincts lead us to terrible startups. Don't let them creep in where we don't want them. Well, this is the last podcast I'll get out before becoming a dad. Hopefully, I'll be a good dad, but I do know I'll be a purposeful one. Warren Buffett once said that someone somewhere is sitting in the shade because years before they planted a tree. The handbook, Acting Purposeful, about being a dad, an entrepreneur, a person. Hopefully, that's the seed. Wish me luck. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea you'd like to take seriously, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll get back to you in 72 hours and can be working on your startup and your entrepreneurial handbook by then. Have a great week.